Well, good morning. It is a, a privilege to be here with all of you and being able to uh, speak while uh, the boss is gone. If you are visiting with us, uh, I just want to let you know I'm not usually up here talking. Uh, Greg Taylor uh, usually brings the message, but he is out of town. So you get me this morning. And I would just like to start this, uh, this morning off by uh, thanking uh, the parents for uh, allowing me to work with your children and, uh, and your grandchildren since February. I came in part-time February, uh, started full-time in May, and it's been uh, really fun working with the kids. And I also want to thank the leadership of the church for uh, believing in me and uh, thinking that I can um, help the church make um, some of the transitions that it's going through um, a little more smoothly. And so um, I just want to thank all of you for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, be here the last couple of months. Well, uh, after showing the video, um, you can see that just a couple of weeks ago, I went on the junior high mission trip. Uh, this whole past summer, I've been working with uh, the children and the junior high students, and we went to Cincinnati, Ohio, and it was a great trip. And uh, coming, knowing that I was going to speak about it today, um, I, I sat down and tried to think of five lessons that I learned on this trip. And so that's where I kind of want to launch us off this morning, is going through some of those lessons that I learned. The first lesson is this. Junior high, junior high students work hard when they are given a task and a goal. Our group, uh, at one point in the week, we were divided into three, three different sites. And we all, each site you did something different, and we had uh, adults who kind of uh, had gifts in those areas go to the, those designated sites. And uh, under the, the umbrella of purpose, you know, we all have the, the, each kid, each adult had a different passion, um, a different uh, talent, but we all had the same purpose, and that was to love and serve Jesus. Um, and I can actually say through our whole team, students and adults, everyone worked hard. Usually when you go on a trip, you have at least one or two, student or adult, where they're just, they're duds. And you, and you wonder why in the world they went on the trip. Because they don't do anything other than maybe complain. Well, I can actually say our whole team, all 35 of us, worked hard. And uh, as a week uh, got longer and towards the end, we stayed focused. We knew what our purpose was. Our se the second lesson I learned, great leadership happens when you share responsibility. From the very beginning of the trip, I kind of uh, divided up responsibilities amongst the adults. I had um, one adult who uh, was in charge of the money management and receipts and stuff. And I had another adult who uh, was in charge of the attendance. Uh, they would count heads whenever the, the bus stopped and the kids were loading or unloading to make sure we had all the kids. Um, I had one adult who was the encourager. And so uh, <laughs> they initiated uh, the, to encourage the students. Uh, that way you have at least somebody doing it. And um, it allowed me to uh, focus on the students and pour into them rather than during the trip constantly thinking about the logistics. Number three, 
junior hires can be serious and respond well to evening activities. In the video, uh, one of the students, Levi, it, it may have been hard to hear him, but he was talking about silent affirmation night. And this is something extra that I put together before we left where we did some special evening activities that would hopefully bond us together as a team. And I, I facilitated these evening activities before on other trips, but I've never done it with junior high students. So uh, I, I didn't really know how they would respond. I didn't know if, it would, if they were at a point in their life where they could respond well to the, the activities. But as the week went on, I noticed it, it was awesome. The kids responded so well. In fact, it opened their eyes to new things about themselves and their peers in God. Levi mentioned in the video how he never considered himself as a good leader. He, it just never crossed his mind until silent affirmation night. The fourth lesson that I learned is junior hires recognize others in the world around them, unlike what many of other people think of them as self-consuming individuals. There was a point in, each evening we, we would take five minutes aside and we would do what I call yeah buddies. And it was a, an opportunity for the team to look at other people that are on the team and, and when you see something good that they do, you give them a yeah buddy. In the video, there was two girls holding cups of water. Well, at that point, time in the trip, we, uh, a bunch of strong guys were carrying out some printing press machine, I, I don't know what it is, some with shirts. All I know is it's super, super heavy, and it took a ton of uh, big, strong guys to carry it up these stairs. Well, we had some girls who, not even being told, went and got some water and was, was willing to hand it hand it to the guys as we were taking turns carrying this big piece of machinery out of this basement. That was a yeah buddy. At the beginning of the week, the kids, they, you know, the yeah buddies were kind of goofy. Um, maybe they would give a yeah buddy to a close friend of theirs. As the week was going on, they were actually, their eyes were able to see some of other students who maybe aren't in their social circles, close-knit groups at school, they were actually giving them encouragement and noticing things that they were doing. My fifth lesson that I learned is junior hires do care about others outside their day-to-day -day interactions and relationships. One of my goals from the very get-go, and I said this on Send Off Sunday, was to break the cliques within our team and to mold us together as one team rather than, you know, five or six different different cliques trying to do the same thing. It doesn't work very well. So I wanted to kind of make the, the, the playing field equal and for us to mold as a team, that way we can better serve and love the people in the name of Jesus than what we would if we were a bunch of different groups of cliques, if we were stuck in our cliques and we never molded together. Well, by the end of the week, I noticed that it was almost natural that the kids were talking to 
Joe Bob or whoever, who they're not close to at school. They're, they were stepping out of their comfort zone and just talking to them, getting to know them, um, playing a game with them. Because for sure at the middle school level, your friends determine a lot by your extracurriculars. You socialize with, if you play baseball, you socialize with the baseball players. If you're in the popular crowd, you, you only socialize with the popular crowd. Well, you couldn't even tell that by the end of the trip. The kids were really caring and loving each other, which made caring and loving those outside of our group who we were serving in Cincinnati so much better. Well, after compiling this list, there was one thing that came to my mind, and it's this. First Christian Church and the Clinton community would look a lot different if we took Matthew 28, the Great Commission, seriously, and we were to intentionally invest in those in our close social circles. I'm taking our, our mission team, it was, it was like a subset of the church, a subset of FCC to be more specific, but it is part of the church. And so these lessons that I learned, we can still apply to FCC. And the Great Commission being this, that uh, Jesus told his disciples one of the last things, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, at the beginning of the week, at, for our evening activity, one of the things I had our team do is we were, we were in a big circle, and I had each person go around, and I said, okay, I want you to tell everyone what your goal is for this trip is? What do you want to get out of this trip? What are you here for? And a lot of them said, you know, well, I, I want to serve others. I want to love others. Or I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and I was expecting those answers, to be honest. It's a mission trip. I'm expecting those answers. But my response to them was, how can you love and serve others or be the hands and feet of Jesus to those outside your social circle, people we don't know in Cincinnati, if you're not doing it to the people on the team, those who you're close to, the people who you're going to be spending a week with, if you're not loving and caring for them, how can you personally expect yourself to be able to do that to, to other people? Well, when I take that subset as an example of the church, there is no excuses for us to not be living out the Great Commission in our personal lives if we have the Holy Spirit. If we are Christ followers, we are promised the Holy Spirit. And there's no excuse for us to not be living out the Great Commission if we have it, and we're letting God lead our life. It, the gospel calls for a change in heart. Do you realize that, that the church, okay, so God's church, which, you know, FCC is a part of, but the church is a sleeping giant. That if we would just wake up and be revived, 
and prayer life was we took seriously and we were we tried to keep that eternal perspective and not get so lost in in the things of this world that amazing things can happen in the name of Jesus now here's here's what I want you to do I want you to look to your left oh wait my left oh look to your right there's empty seats those empty seats have someone's name on it. There's somebody that's not here today. There's somebody outside these walls who's in your life, who doesn't know Jesus, and you just might be the only Jesus that they will ever see, and you might be the only Bible they ever read. And they're waiting for you. And you know Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And they're waiting for you. So if we were to take the Great Commission seriously, this place would be full. It would be crazy around here. We would be having the ushers setting up chairs in the aisles. And how good would that be? Because those who know the gospel, you know how sweet it is and how refreshing it is. For you to know Jesus. Because it's something that, that the world doesn't, doesn't offer. So knowing that Greg has been doing a series on parables. And reflecting on uh, the, the lessons from the mission trip. I came to the parable of the two sons. It's found in Matthew 21. So if you will flip there with me. Matthew 21. And we're going to start with verse 28. Matthew 21, starting in verse 28. The parable of the two sons. Now before these verses, Jesus is actually, he's in the temple, and the chief priests are questioning his authority. And his response to them is this parable. And he says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but he later changed or but he later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For God came to you, or for John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. After reading this, there's two things that came to my mind. And the first is this. Jesus was trying to wake up the religious leaders of his day, the chief priests. And he, and he was basically saying, fellas, you're missing it. You know, John, John came to show you the way of righteousness. You're not getting it. You need to wake up. And, and church, that's where we in, insert ourselves in the story. And now we need to ask ourselves, do we need to wake up? Have we gotten lost in the rules, the regulations, you know, the meetings, the committees, the, 
the stuff that we do need to function, but have we got so lost in that that we've actually lost sight of the gospel and, and what it really means? In fact, we're told at the end that those who don't know Jesus are matching their words with their actions better than those who say they know Christ. The last couple of verses there is kind of a slap in the face to the, to the religious leaders of the day. And that leads me to my second point when reading this parable. And that is, this is where we're going to land today. When our words don't match action, it means nothing to God. It's empty. So you say you, say you love people. Well, do you? Or, or do you just love a select few people that you decide are worthy to love? Maybe your family, close friends, but other than that, eh. You say you love God, well, do you show it? If I were to ask somebody, you know, hey, what do you think of Jim, Jim Bob? Or I guess we have a Jim Bob in this church. I may not want to use it. Did I say Jim Bob earlier? I think I did. Jim Bob. Anyways, I don't know. Um, Johnny. Well, we got a Johnny too. But um, anyways, we're going with Johnny. You say to Johnny, you know, Johnny, what do you think of so-and-so? And are they going to say, I see Jesus in them. They're a very peaceful person. Man, they love people like crazy. He's always serving for some reason. What are they going to say if I were to ask them? And then you say that you are a Christian and you're a part of God's church. Well, then you need to be it. And what I mean by that is, you know, no, I, I think I wrote this in one of my early uh, K articles. No longer, if you're part of the church, you no longer say you go to church. You are the church. You are to be the church. The church is a, it's a living organism. It's not stationary. It has nothing to do with this infrastructure or these lights or this mic or this computer. The church is people and it's a community and it moves. It's moving constantly. It's not stationary. And so if you're part of the church, if you're a Christ follower and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you need to be a part of the church. You need to be involved. You need to be playing a part. And now that I say that, you know, I, I, some of you may have been involved with this church in particular, um, you know, at some point in your life, and maybe you've taking the attitude, well, you know, so-and-so, they're coming in, and now it's their job to do it. No. We should all, together, be serving alongside each other and being the church. In fact, many of you in here have a lot of wisdom to share to people like me. And in order for us to be able to continue the church and do it with excellence, we need your wisdom, and we're only going to get your wisdom if we serve alongside each other. We all need to be involved. Our actions need to match our words, otherwise it means nothing to God. If you claim to be a Christian, then 
make your life the Great Commission and be an active part of the church. You will be blessed beyond what you can even imagine. You may think you know how you might be blessed if you help with families at first or helping set up with fellowship time or being a greeter. But when you get really involved and you are committed, Jesus will rock your world. In many ways, that's when your faith comes to life. Because a lot of us, we have knowledge, but it hasn't transferred into your heart and into your being. And, and part of serving and being a part of the church is where you, it really comes alive. And you start, start seeing God using you. And, and seeing, oh man, you taught me that, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a couple of years ago. And now I'm actually starting to see its fruit. So when you love others, those in, in, your, in, in your close social circle, when you love others and you live out the Great Commission and it's, and it's your life, and you put those together, you get discipleship. When Jesus is the heartbeat of the church, discipleship occurs. It, it overflows and, and it, it oozes out of the the new creation that you were made when Jesus came into your life. It comes naturally because you're living by the Holy Spirit and your prayer life is strong and you're just in love with God's word. You don't read God's word because it, it, you should. You do it because you just love to do it. It's refreshing. So how do you do discipleship? Well, that leads us to John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. We're talking about discipleship here, and what better way than to look for the guy who started it all, Jesus, and let's see, okay, how did he disciple? What did he look for? Verse 35 starts with saying, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you, Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is translate, when translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Peter, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. A couple verses later, Jesus ends by saying, And then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's two things here. When, how do you, when trying to, answer the question, how do you do discipleship? When you are living your life by the Holy Spirit and your prayer life is strong and you are just in love with God, 
when you're looking at people in your life that God has placed to take the Great Commission to, to go to and share the gospel, there's two things you can do. Number one, at some point in that relationship, that's what we see here in this scripture. It's all about relationships. In John 1, it's all about relationships. And number one, you need to speak truth. At some point in your relationship with someone in your close, that you're close to in your life, you gotta, be, you gotta speak truth. At some point, you're gonna have to share the gospel with them and tell them what Jesus has done in your life and what he wants to do in their life. But then, number two, you also can do three, it's three words, and that is say, come and see. Come and see. What is Jesus doing when he says come and see? He's inviting others to live life with him. And we know also from the scripture that they refer to him as rabbi. Well, what are they doing when, when they call him rabbi? Well, they're, they're basically telling Jesus, hey, I want to follow you. I want to make my life part of your life. And so what would they do when a rabbi and his disciples would follow each other? Well, they would travel together. They would teach together. They would study God's word together. They would eat together. They would laugh together. They'd probably argue together. I'm sure there was some bad days too. They would sleep in the same area as each other. In other words, they would be together. They were living life with each other. And they also asked Jesus, well, where do you live? A lot of people in your life who don't know Jesus have a lot of questions. Who is this Jesus? In fact, you know what? Culture has told me a lot of stuff about Jesus. Well, what do you think about Jesus? About this whole church thing. Why does... Why do church people do this? Or why do church people do that? And your response can be, well, come and see. Here, let me show you what I have experienced. Some examples for us today, what can that be? Because if you tell someone, come and see, it might be a little awkward. I don't know if it would fit well in your conversation with them. But inviting someone to sit together with you at a, a city league ball game here in town you your spouse and another couple you sitting together and enjoying the game um, inviting each other for coffee uh, going to a community event together having a cookout or for example this past week I played a lot of spike ball spike ball is a new sport it's more well known on the university campuses not so much in the in uh, the public eye because Walmart and Target can't sell it you got to buy it online but it's a new sport, it's called spike ball, and I, I've been playing it a lot. Dana has seen me in the Family Life Center, Kelly has seen me in the Family Life Center, playing with um, high school and junior high students. Friday, I just wanted to play spike ball, so I called up some students, I said, hey, you want to meet me at the church to play some spike ball? Sure. We came to the church, there was something going on here, so we went to the high school. Played outside. No, we did not have a Bible study, no, we didn't pray. But... I invited these boys into my life on Friday. Hey, let's spend some time together and let's play some spike ball. You know what that does? That gives me, as time goes on, a place in their life, a position in their life, where at some point I will be able to speak truth to them. That when life gets tough, they are, we're going to have a relationship that we have built that can now lead to, okay, well, what does Jesus say about this? What gives you the rhythm of your heartbeat? In other words, what gets you up out of bed every morning and what do you rest on at night? 
What is on your mind all the time? What gives you the drive and the energy to live every day? It can be sports. It could be your children, shopping. In fact, it could be gossip. I've done some clinical work in some schools, and man, um, one of the things that I really did not like about this one school is it seemed like the teachers just thrived off of gossip. I mean, gossip's everywhere, wherever you go, but it was almost as if the, the staff there, they were looking for gossip, because if you weren't in the gossip, then you didn't belong. It was like the community was built, the community within the staff was built on, on gossip. They were thriving off it. It's what kept them going throughout the school day. Or maybe it's negativity. Negativity is what kind of you live off of. Well, when you, when you align your heart with the heart of God, when God is your, gives you the rhythm to your heartbeat, discipleship occurs. The Great Commission happens. Your Great Commission is your life. And when you live out Matthew 28 in your life, by using the word of God as your guide. Don't forget what Paul wrote in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The key phrase there is the power of God. Church, we need to be the church, make the Great Commission our life, love people, serve people, care for each other. But if we can't do it here with each other, it's going to be a lot harder for us to do it to those who don't know Jesus. But I don't want you to forget Romans 1.16. And the key phrase in that, in that verse is the power of God. Discipleship is not just a change in behavior. So leaving here today, it's not just, well, I guess I need to get involved in the church. Yes, maybe you do, but there has to be a change in heart where the root of all behavior begins. And that change in heart is only done by the power of God. For all who believe and trust in the Lord. And it cannot be done out of our own effort. We need to be willing to sit in the grace of God and his sovereignty and know that he loves us and he cares for us because Jesus showed that and just be willing to follow Jesus and let him lead us in life and we get and let him get the glory for everything and we get to delight in that we get to find joy in God being glorified so when trying to live out the gospel it can be hard especially in a small town like Clinton where everyone knows you and your background, your past and your mistakes. Even for me, working here uh, these past couple of months, I mean, come on. I did some stupid stuff in high school. <coughs> I'm from here. I grew up here. Um, and there are people that live here still that they kind of, it's kind of weird to see, see Cody Monkman working at a church. Never would have never thought that. Never saw that coming. It can be hard. But if I can give you one more Dunkin' pick-me-up from the, that's my, that was my K section. I love Dunkin' Donuts, coffee. If I can give you one more Dunkin' pick-me-up, it is this. Meditate on Romans 1.16. 
Meditate and pray over Romans 1.16 every day as you strive to live your life for the gospel, living out the Great Commission, and using the Word of God as your guide every step of the way. And when the rhythm of your heartbeat is in line with God's heart, discipleship occurs, the unthinkable happens, this church will be busting at its seams. We will be hearing stories of life change every week. And we all, as the church, are invited to be a part of that. Your life can be a new chapter written in God's story that he wrote a long time ago. We're invited to do that. So my challenge for you is to be the church. If you say you are a Christian, that you are part of the church, don't just go to church. Be the church. Get involved here. Not because you need to, but because you want to. And you want to be a part of the church. You want to be a part of life change that God is doing in people right now and the life change that he wants to do to those who are in your personal life right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you um, for an opportunity to um, just share your word uh, with the church this morning. I want to thank you for the, the life change that you have already brought into many of our lives here this morning. Um, that you have come into our hearts and just have rocked our world. And God, I, I pray that for some of us who have been living this Christian life for a while, that, that you will revive us, that you will remind us of what it means to live out the Great Commission. Thank you for giving those of us who you have changed our lives a story to tell. The church has a story to tell, and I pray that you will do a work in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to give us the desire to share that story with those in our close circles, to love them and to serve them. But it all starts with the heart. Will you please do a change in our hearts? Awake the sleeping giant in this church. We want to be a part of the life change that you want to do, and we want to see this world come to know you better. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Cody. It's decision time now at First Christian Church.